Give me your best shot on Beatine. <laughs> Damn it, I don't have it. I don't have it on the spot. Come I just on. want to say Beatine. Brought to you by Raytheon. Yeah, brought to you by Northrop Grumman. <laughs> Welcome back to the Poor Proles Almanac. This is Andy, and today we have something a little different than our usual content, which seems to be a running theme for this summer. We're joined by Tim Clemens, also known as MN Forager on Instagram. That's like Minnesota MN Forager, who's the founder of Ironwood Foraging Company in Minnesota. And we actually don't spend much time talking about foraging. Instead, we talk about getting old and engaging with the bodies we have, fitness, and having a better understanding of what fitness really is, especially within the context of foraging or farming. Tim's one of those voices that feels like an endless string of optimism and energy, and I think that really comes through in this conversation. It's not about what you're missing, but rather what you already have and what you can do to add to your skill set. And I think that's something everyone needs. So take a listen, get excited, and let us know what you think. Tim, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, Andy. Uh, yeah, so I live in Minneapolis in Minnesota. I'm a professional forager and mushroom hunter. I own a company called Ironwood Foraging, where our mission is to offer hands-on foraging experiences to build connection to the land here in the Minneapolis metro area. That's awesome. Yeah, foraging is... I, I love to forage. I, I don't do a whole lot of mushroom foraging because I don't trust myself, but it's one of those things I think when people talk about it, it can be really scary and then they get into it and it's like, oh, this is super cool. But there, there's obviously like a lot to it. And one of the pieces that I don't think gets a whole lot of attention really is the physical aspect of it. So like I just had COVID like two weeks ago and I went on my first hike since I've had COVID with, with my kids yesterday. And uh, there's a 1.6 mile hike around this little marsh area that I live near. And I'm telling you, I was beat after it. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with you. Also, that was my experience with COVID too. I, I got it. And uh, as someone who is very physically active, can notice very small changes in my physical abilities. Yeah, I noticed my abilities kind of went off a cliff there for a while. I'm back in the saddle now, but I definitely do not want to dance with that again. As far as fitness goes, I mean, getting outside, extremely important. I mean, uh, that's what foraging is at its basic you know, is finding resources on the landscape and harvesting them. That's something we do passively. I don't really talk about it in my workshops, but it's like this passive understanding that, hey, you need to be able to, uh, you know, travel over terrain. I'm starting to make it more of like a forward-facing thing that I talk about because I do feel like fitness and physical activity is somehow lacking in the foraging community, the gardening community, the mushroom hunting community, because physical activity and fitness are two slightly different things, or, or physical activity and exercise. Yeah. A lot of people think of, say, hey, I'm going mushroom hunting, I'm hiking, you know, that's my exercise. But it's actually just physical activity, which, not to say just physical activity, it's very important, but exercise is different because it relies on progressive overload, and that's going to give you things like more muscle mass, bone density, increase your proprioception. So proprioception, for anyone who doesn't know that $5 word, that's just adjusting stimuli, adjusting to stimuli from the outside world. We all need to do that to be healthy. It helps you stop from falling, maybe uh, help you catch yourself when you fall. You know, most people get injured because 
they're losing a battle against gravity. You know, gravity is the ops. So, you know, fitness is really important in that way. Yeah, I think of functional fitness, and that is important. But functional fitness, I think, is not quite the same, even though we, we're just like, well, yeah, like some people, they get into working out and like their, their muscle mass, what they can do is not really related to like living on the earth. And there's some validity in that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other parts. Like, I, I think we kind of go wholesale on it where because there's this like disconnect between aesthetic and functional, that means like maybe as long as we're busy, physical, active outside, that's enough. I'm not really sure if that's the case, given that the rest of our lives are so disconnected from the way we've lived on the landscape before. Yeah, totally. You know, you don't have to go full muscle mommy if you start a fitness journey. And that is kind of, a, I would say, going more towards the aesthetic rather than the functional. But both are extremely important, and there's no reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think uh, a lot of people do want to get into fitness or physical activity because they like how it makes them look and feel. You know, I would say at the end of the day, a happier person looks better. So however that works for you, if you're happier in your life, you're just going to, you know, radiate that. Yeah, I, I was uh, watching you on TikTok like a couple days ago uh, at the time of this recording, and you were just like crushing some pull-ups. And I was like, God damn it, I need to <laughs> I need to start like doing more physical stuff, like other than like digging holes and cutting down trees and splitting wood and like that. all that's great, but like it's not the same. And there... There's a fun part about it that once you're in it, if you've never really been into fitness, and I've gone through phases of it, that like it, you get in it and you get in this grind of like working out, and it's like sometimes it's like the best thing. It, it can seem really intimidating from the outside. So I, I, I'm really interested to see how that kind of progresses in the work that you're doing with like incorporating like fitness into outdoors aesthetic or however you end up kind of letting that play out. Yeah, some of the, like you mentioned it, chopping wood. I think that's exactly what part of this is. And hey, start your wood chopping TikTok. Who's that guy that's on TikTok that has like uh, millions yeah, of followers? <laughs> yeah, he just like posts like, I don't, I don't know, like text. Yeah, text over him just splitting wood. But I swear to God, whenever I watch those guys, I'm like, why does your wood split so much easier than mine? Like, are you that much more in, in fit, or is it just like? My wood sucks. <laughs> you so know? I, I watch those guys and I, I have that exact same uh, <laughs> thought process too. I'm like, is it the wood? Is it me? <laughs> it's definitely intimidating, you know? Yeah. Because he doesn't look like he's swinging it too much harder than I can, you know? I'm really giving it my yeah. all. Uh, but it just like, he gives that grunt and then, you know, a million comments later, he splits it. So, oh, yeah, it's brutal. I'm just like, he's just like splitting these massive logs and I'm just like, God damn it. Like, why Why don't you ever have knots in your wood? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, and also it's curated. Like, yeah. I think that's a big thing in the fitness community, too, is everything we see online, which I think is how at least most people under 40 are, like, interpreting our world nowadays, is this little rectangle in front of our face. You're getting a curated sense of reality that it definitely instills FOMO. It, like, I should be somewhere else. And it also instills, like, this idea that I should be something else than what I am like it instead like inherently it's like I'm not enough but uh I think if you get on your fitness jersey journey it will build self-trust I think that's one of the most important things like aesthetics great functional strength great but the emotional aspect of it too you will learn to trust yourself and your ability to handle life's challenges and that'll lead to only positive things 
and being able to split wood and make a thirst trap TikTok. <laughs> that's that's the next step for the poor proles is the thirst traps outdoors. I'm very uh, surprised that you guys haven't uh, gotten into that niche yet. I yeah, I got to get in shape to do that first. <laughs> but it, it is interesting. Like you know, I'm I'm a bit older than you. I think I'm nearing forty. I think about like what I was doing when I was in my early twenties and even mid twenties. That you know, you could just get away with shit with your body, right? Like you could just beat on it and it would just take it. <laughs> totally. Like when I get out of bed in the morning now, it sounds like I'm trying to deadlift 400 pounds. Yeah. Like I, I remember just like working physically. I was in the trade when I was younger and I'd work, go out drinking, be up until one in the morning, then be out the door at 530, like multiple days a week. And you'd be like, oh, I'm a little bit hungover. But by like 10 <laughs> o'clock, you were back to normal, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like those days are gone now. And even, um, you know, as I've especially uh, fortunately right before I'd gotten COVID, but a couple months before I started thinking about my physical health much more holistically, taking it more seriously in terms of not necessarily like physical activity, but just like paying more attention to the food I'm eating, taking vitamins, which is something that I never thought I would do because it was always kind of like, yeah, I eat, I eat kind of healthy, pretty healthy. Like I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and, you know, all that kind of sure, good stuff. Yeah. But then, you know, actually taking the time to think about it and be like, you know what, like worst case scenario, like I pee it out. You know what I mean? So thinking about my health a little bit more holistically in that way. And I, I do think, you know, now obviously I'm still coming off of COVID, but I do feel in a lot of ways a lot better than I did. And it's not just the vitamins. It's, being better about not being on social media. I basically only check it when I get messages or I'm posting, sleeping and trying to make time to sleep, which I think is really difficult, especially if you've got kids. And I know I'm pretty sure you do too, right? No, not yet. Oh, not yet. Uh, I, we'll I know we've some. talked about kids. Yeah. So like, you know, making time for sleep because it's like you spend all this time with your kids and it's like, well, I want some me time. Really starting to engage with the limits of your body's physical capacity. I think that's something we all need to get better about and more thoughtful about. And it's not really like fun and sexy, like a lot of like that TikTok content we're talking about, but it is really important to like incorporate all these little things. Yeah, for sure. Especially that idea of engaging with your body's capacities. You know, I think so many people, their own physicality is completely hypothetical to them. They don't oftentimes put themselves in on that like border of what they're capable of for whatever reason it's stressful it's embarrassing it's difficult or they feel like they don't have time for it but that is really the idea like for instance i would say we don't even have to go to like the edge of our physical capacity if you ask the normal average person can they do a push-up the i think people would be surprised at the answer and then also if we even maybe lower that a little bit like when is the last time you jumped and both of your feet left the ground at the same time, like it's not really necessary in life. And you'd be surprised to see like, oh man, I can't even remember the last time I jumped or ran as fast as I could, you know, above a jog. And so it's just so odd, the lives we live now that we call normal. Yeah. And, and that comes back to what I was saying though. Like, yeah, I know we talk about like, yeah, I go out and go on hikes and do these things, but because the rest of our life is not doing the other things that we've historically done, we're sitting at a desk instead of like chasing a elephant for three days or, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like historic, what we've evolved to do that we have this like 
functional part of our health that we're not really addressing. And, uh, you know, I, so I mentioned that we went for a hike yesterday. Uh, a few days ago, my daughter had a birthday party to go to and it was at a rock climbing gym. And I love rock climbing. I used to do it all the time. And uh, I haven't gone in years since basically since my son was born five years ago. So like, you know, they, the kids are all doing their thing. And then there's the free climb area. And I was like, oh, I can probably do a little bit. I know I'm getting over COVID, but like I could probably do something. And I like jumped up and I went to like reach one arm up and I like was swinging and I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> like it's, it's been a little while. And like that, like reality of, yeah, I know you think you can still do these things, but maybe you need to like actually go and be a little bit more fit, push yourself a little bit more. Totally. Yeah. Physicality is one of those things in life that is self-evident. Like you can talk about it as much as you want. You can equivocate, but at the end of the day, you can either do the thing how you want to do it, or you can't do the thing how you want to do it. And so it's, it is that simple and that difficult yeah. to, uh, you know, have those capacities. Um, goal orientation is extremely important in fitness. And that's what a lot of people, I think they approach fitness as if it's something they can kind of casually do, which you can, I'm not trying to gatekeep or be dogmatic about fitness. It's also a journey. Everyone's, you know, in their process. What I find is really helpful is uh, establishing SMART goals, the acronym. So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely goals. You know, you want to figure out, okay, if, you know, what do I want my life to look like in terms of fitness? And then you want to be able to measure that both subjectively and objectively. So subjective, how do I feel? How does this make me feel? Both in terms of, is this the right thing I should be doing? Do I feel a sense of accomplishment? Am I doing this out of shame or am I doing this out of self-love? You know, that's important too, because one is sustainable and one is not. I'll let you figure out which one is which. And then um, objectively, you want to be able to measure and actually like quantify, okay, where where am I? Like say, I want to bench press 225 pounds, which seems to be like what everyone wants to do nowadays. Well, okay, how much can I bench press now? And then follow that week by week and put yourself on, you know, at minimum a 10 week program and then maybe do a three month program and then maybe an eight month program. And you'll find that if you actually stick with these, you know, attainable goals and then make them realistic and set it to a timetable, you're going to reach your goals. Are you familiar with um, Michael Easter's book, Comfort Crisis? If not, it was really eye-opening for me, and I think it articulated a lot of issues I felt around healthcare and personal care, like kind of what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I'm not aware of it, but I, yeah, tell me about it. So basically, and I'm probably going to butcher this story because I didn't really prep for it, talking about it too deeply, <laughs> but this guy who's a fitness writer started you know, doing some stuff, and he realized like part of the problem in the United States, and I think even globally, he makes the argument that like we've become too comfortable and it's affecting our health not just not just in the way we think of as like you know being overweight and all you know the the stereotypical type of like you're out of shape kind of things but also like how it's impacting how our immune system works and our the neurology in our body works because we're not pushing ourselves the way our bodies are designed to be pushed the same way like you know if you have a a dog that doesn't do anything all day has all these health issues versus the dog that's you know always you know running around like a maniac the reality is that like health isn't just or the physical aspect of like being healthy of doing physical things pushing yourself to that limit is really important because your body needs it for a number of reasons not just the physical piece 
and it was really interesting to see him kind of break it out as like how much of the diseases that we're experiencing are because of the fact that we're too comfortable and that comfort is such a a risky thing in a lot of ways to the to our needs as humans we think of comfort as being this great thing that like we can live in the comfort of you know modern housing but there's so much more to it the importance of being exposed to cold weather and hot weather uh, all these different elements not just again how many push-ups can you do? And, and that has like numerous uh, health implications. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I know I'm just kind of giving you like the, the synopsis of it. But if it's anything that kind of checks boxes that you kind of think about. Yeah, I mean, my instant thought is I'd love to read it. I think it's probably going to touch on like critical parameters for lifespan and wellness span. I imagine those comforts that he talks about, you know, other than just like the, you know, I haven't read the book, but he probably talks about like, the emergent properties of all those practices are like grip strength, leg strength. You know, you're getting these like classic markers, VO2 max, which is the, uh, you know, volume oxygen maximum that your, you know, your body's ability to like use oxygen. Those are all like the classic metrics of, you know, health. I imagine it ties into that a little bit, but in like a more like metaphysical way, like, Hey, what is the human animal? And what are the optimal parameters for most of those human animals to live what we would call a healthy life. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Can't wait to read it. Yeah. The thing that really kind of stood out to me is I've always never really been into the like whole, oh, you need to take ice baths or like be exposed to like heat and all this kind of stuff. Like I like a hot tub, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> yeah. but like, you know, I never thought of it as like this really important health piece. And I mean, it makes sense, like wherever humans have lived on the earth, like we've been exposed to temperature extremes. And while we've been ingenious in like navigating around them, it's not like we fully were like, you know, I've created a way that I will never have to walk outside for three days during a heat wave. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> so like we've always had some kind of short term exposure to these extreme temperatures. And obviously, I think with like climate change, having the capacity to like engage with those, like especially again, going to this temperature idea. I think is really valuable. And, um, you know, it, it was really eye opening in that sense. And I think it's something that I have tried to incorporate into my to my life, the way I live, especially like in the winter of like letting myself be exposed to the cold temperature and like really trying to go through some of the steps of how to like regulate your body's heat production and things like that to, to deal with the stress of those temperatures that we don't normally do. We just throw a coat on and run into the house as fast as we can, you know? So this winter has been pretty big for me in terms of, you know, I live in Minnesota. It gets fairly cold here. And I'd say for the last decade, I've been resenting the winter. You know, I feel like I can't forage as much. There's not, you know, a ton to forage in the winter, although there is some stuff. Very cool. But I find myself staying indoors more often. I can't go run outside or trail run, which I really enjoy doing. So I feel like my life kind of comes to a stop for about six months out of the year here. But just like you were saying, like putting yourself in touch with like the natural rhythms of the world, whether that be perceived as stress, whether good stress or bad stress, you know, but like putting yourself face to face with just your actuality, you know, going outside and being like, it's cold and I'm not immediately going to run from that. I'm going to experience it because you're actually, when you think about it, you're extremely lucky that you get to experience that sensation called cold. A, it means you're alive. And you're able to uh, take in this stimuli. You walked out there. You're standing. Could have lost your legs at some point, you know? So, like, it just teaches gratitude. And I think, you know, these kind of get, like, into the, like, the woo-woo area. 
of life that um, maybe a little new age or whatever, but like, it's also the fundamental, you know, some of the fundamental like mental states that humans are, are capable of experiencing. Use those for, for good, you know, gratitude is towards your circumstances is likely always better than having a purely negative view of it. You know, if, if you can't change it, like I have no power to change that it's cold outside. I can put a coat on, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I should at basic be happy with the fact that it's cold outside and then, and then put a coat on, you know, in that order, it seems like a pointless step, but it's important. This winter, before we started recording, we were talking about how wildly warm it's been in the northern half of the United States. And a part of me is like, oh, this is great. I, I also hate the cold. But then that deep-seated part that's like, no, this is not a good thing is like eating at me from deep below. <laughs> and uh, the last couple of years, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I've been trying to, I've always hated the cold. I've lived in the South and I've wanted to go back for a number of years. I'm trying to <laughs> learn to... Uh, to accept the world as it is around me and that like these these seasons are so important and they all offer something uniquely good uh, even if it's difficult to enjoy it because you're busy shivering <laughs> hey we're taking a quick break in the episode to remind you that you can get a whole lot more information from poorproles.com on our website we have access to our supplemental reader for the podcast which provides more depth and context as well as thorough citations for all of the stuff we talk about in the show. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which updates you about limited releases, such as various nursery stock that we sometimes sell through the Poor Pearls website, as well as updates about new merch that we have. You can also support the show through that website, poorpearls.com, where you have access to our Patreon and our Substack to get early releases for articles and episodes. Now, if you enjoy the show and are just looking for even more audio content, go check out Tomorrow Today, which just wrapped up season one, or tune into the Gastropocene, which is a project of myself and Dr. Aisha Khan to discuss the way our diets have driven the Anthropocene and what it looks like to use our diets for good. Now, back to the show. And, and like, you know, even to that point, like, you know, I um, I mentioned rock climbing, and I guess I'm just going to tell a lot of stories today. After I got home, it was really cloudless night. The stars are shining. And my daughter wanted to stand outside and look at the stars. And I'm like, it is like 30 degrees out. We were just running inside after being at the rock climbing gym. And she was just like standing out there, like the cold didn't really bother her. And, it, you know, one of the things that becomes more apparent to you as a parent is that the capacity of children to withstand things that we cannot as adults, whether it's like their ability, their flexibility, their arm strength, like the way my daughter can like swing from things and just like grip things like unbelievable, like all these skills that I think humans have. And then we just let them like totally just rot. And um, <laughs> yeah, totally. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes I spend my days just like, even though I am physically active, there are days that I'll just rot in bed. You know, and I'm like, despite all the like, oh, you, this is your only life to live. And, you know, you should be like optimizing your fitness. I'm like, you know what? Today is a rat day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's just like the atrophy that I think happens because of the way we live from, you know, four years old to 25, 30, you know, whatever the rest of your life, basically. And then we're like, we spend every moment from like, adulthood on trying to at least some of us trying to like reclaim that that capacity there's a few people on like tiktok that i see that like climb trees and they just whip themselves around i think we look at that and say like wow that's like beyond 
the normal state of humans. Like this guy is really good at what he does. But I want a little part of me wonders if like if we if people had like, you know, never really lost that physical capacity as they're growing up and it was still incorporated in their lives, if that would be something that would be more the norm. Yo, yeah, totally. I mean, I think people would be extremely surprised about what their body is capable of. But just as you say, we're using that more as children, although I don't know about like the current situation with the youth in front of screens, unprecedented levels of distraction and stimulation available from our screens these days. But if you never stopped, you know, if you prioritized being like this extremely athletic, extremely functionally fit individual from the time you're a child and you never stopped, like it actually has these emerging, like you will hit these, I guess what you would call them, uh, what we colloquially called them in bro science was slingshots, you know, like (laughs) you would hit slingshots and strength. Like say if you were like, if you played football on a football team, you'd be in your weightlifting program and you would notice that like. Hey, around the age of 14, oh, you suddenly got a lot stronger. Okay. Then the age of 16. And then you're saying like, oh, wow. And then like the age of 19, you would be at like this plateau where you'd know generally how strong you are and you're getting stronger and whatnot because you're working out. But then you just experience this massive, like seemingly unexplained, you know, like, you know, obviously it's like puberty and adolescence and other things happening. But yeah, if you never stopped that, you would be also one of these people you know, swinging limb to limb off of trees. Um, and it's just hard to claw that back. And that's why it's better to, you know, not lose it in the first place, but hey, real life. Yeah, it, it's wild. I mean, we, we think about like physicality as like this thing that's divided from the way we, our day-to-day lives in a lot of ways, right? Like you go to the gym or you have a gym in your basement. It's not like, unless that is your identity. And I think like you, you see that manifest in a lot of people who like get into the gym and then they like become fitness trainers, right? Yep. Because that is their excuse. Otherwise, they will fall off the bandwagon. Like they, they get that high from working out and they love it. And like, that's great. But the way we live isn't really conducive with like making the free time to do that unless that is your job. And there's like this very clear delineation between like having access to that time and those resources and not for better or worse, mostly worse, I think. And it's, I don't know. I, as somebody that has been on the left for a long time and somebody who has been in and out of sports in some capacity, I've always had a really hard time like merging these worlds together, right? Of being like politically active, caring about all these other things, and also being into sports. And that's really unfortunate because I think there's a lot that we can all gain from like finding joy in, in being physically fit and doing exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And to speak about, you know, being on the left and having, you know, seemingly that dichotomy, you know, my my personal journey with athletics has largely been, you know, field sports and team sports. It's only now that I've gotten older that I've done like more individual sports, typically martial arts. But in the past, you know, I'm, I'm on a team. So you're in like a collective essentially toward a goal. So you get really used to operating as a collective, thinking as a collective. On the football field, you think of, hey, where do I fit in the hole and what do I have to do to make this work? And you think of like essentially your team as your extension of your will and body, you know, like you're one. I think that's what a lot of people who maybe like, you know, it's 2023 and it still doesn't make people cool to not like sports. We're going to see a lot of that today because it's the (laughs) Super Bowl today, actually. A lot of people could learn something from quieting the individual ego for a little bit and putting toward your effort toward a collective goal. And that's 
that's classic team field sports right there, yeah. you know? So it does, they don't have to be separate at all. Um, and then, Hey, I mean, I was always kind of an outlier in my sports cause I'm not your classic jock. You know, I was definitely, you know, super interested in history. I was like the bookworm, you know, on the team. So I never really felt like I belonged. I had like one foot in one foot in one foot out. And that could always be like sensed by the more classical jock types. But I saw beauty in all of it, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't think they're separate. And I think a lot of people could learn things. So maybe joining like a rec league uh, soccer team or, you know, probably don't join football at this point. You know, if someone's, if someone's maybe <laughs> over the age of like 30 or 40 or something, they probably shouldn't be joining like a contact sport. But yeah, no. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I totally feel you though on that. Like there, I feel like in when I was in, I played basketball in high school until I broke my ankle oh, nice. and then I just kind of never went back because they were found out there was a whole bunch of issues why I had broken my ankle. And it was just like this long, arduous thing. By the time I was like back to normal, it was like two years later, and I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going back for one more year. And you know, I, I do think I, f- I feel a lot of what you're talking about, like this, like you're a part of the team, but you're also like fundamentally a little bit different. And I think it's like really apparent to everyone on the team, even if like it never like it manifests in any particular, you know, activity or anything like that. But on the left, what I've experienced is that like people will get curious about fitness and sports, but it, it comes with so much baggage because of those experiences when we're younger, because of the cultural norms around sports, especially in the United States. I think, and I don't know if you were, if you've had any similar experiences, but like, especially around like soccer, I think is kind of where you see globally a much different relationship with sports, where in some ways it is political, but on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I, I think at least where I went to high school, like the soccer team was very different culturally than any other sports team. Would you say that the soccer, like world soccer has a, uh, like, are you saying it brings people together more or are you talking about the hooligans who fight after the games and stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm talking about like the fact that like it's an accessible sport in a lot of the world. And I think that also draws a very working class experience to what soccer is and not necessarily maybe like England, but like, you know, especially during the like the World Cup, I think like there's a lot of political implications when you know, these marginalized countries are successful because at the end of the day, like soccer is much different in terms of how to, in terms of like how people can scale up and be successful. It's much more a level playing field in a lot of ways, I think, than other sports because of that. And yeah, I I don't know. I think like soccer is really interesting because it, it is, I think, much more supported by like international leftists than American football or basketball or any of these other sports. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it always kind of stood out to me as kind of this aberration in terms of like sports, at least from an American perspective. Yeah, I'm like have like a, a lot of while you're talking, I have a lot of like half thoughts about that forming, <laughs> but nothing really percolating, you know, into, you know, coalescing into like a, an idea, but no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. There is a, such a difference towards how soccer, which, Hey, is a sport surprise is viewed <laughs> by these people who classically don't like sport. Huh? That's very interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I don't really have like the, like you said, I, I can't really fully articulate how I feel about it. But like, there's something there that I think is really important to like, at least acknowledge. And, you know, I, I think about like, when I talk about like, you know, like football, let's talk about soccer, like on an international scale, my first image in my head is like Fidel Castro, like with a, with a soccer ball, right? 
And I think that like really speaks to like some really deep seated like understanding of the sport from a global perspective. And I love soccer. And I, I like when the World Cup was coming through, and to go back to like this weird division between like the left and sports, it's like, uh, you know, there's all this argument about like the slave labor that was used for the stadium for the FIFA Cup. And like that is all very valid, but like that shit happens in every sport, in every, you know, every Olympic game throughout the course of history. And suddenly, like the sport that is particularly more amenable to marginalized countries and like, you know, on a global stage, criticizing people for supporting it, or like at least just being engaged with the sport itself is like a really easy way for like a lot of the left to just like dig at sports as a whole and like have this performative activism about something they weren't going to watch anyway. And I don't know, it's my whole point is that like, it's all really like weird. And the left is just generally speaking, uncomfortable with like, talking about fitness and you know, sports. Yeah. Do you think that's probably, well, first of all, just to talk about the soccer, do you, I think there's a split between, you know, like FIFA and then the common man playing sport, you yeah, know, yeah, playing yeah. the sport. And I think that's, you know, just like how there's a difference between a government and the common, common person. I mean, like you have two like countries that are outright engaged in a war. Chances are that the common person is going to meet that another person from the other country and be totally chill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, I think like with, to go back to like the FIFA example, the World Cup, it's, you know, this opportunity for people or for communities that otherwise never have a voice on a world stage to finally have this opportunity to like exemplify why they're, why they're unique and why they're, I don't want to say why they're valuable because that makes it sound like it's only about the sports, but just an opportunity to give them a global stage that we are so used to in, in places like the United States and Europe that we don't see the the significance of it. And I don't know, it's it's very like, you know, we have this very like these these blinders on about like what it means to have an opportunity like that because we're it's so normalized here. I wonder if like this um leftist maybe like anti-sport which which hey, I actually might just I'm not even sure if I'm perceiving it correctly. Like that I'm always leaving room for that. But maybe is it like the is it seen as too individualistic? Like is that maybe just like a predilection towards? Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I really think a lot of it stems back to like how we relate with sports in high school and element and middle school as kids. Like we, we were talking before, you know, you, we, we knew we were kind of different than the rest of the kids on our sports teams. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming anyone else in our boat in our position probably also felt that. And then of course, I think people that didn't play sports or wanted to, but didn't feel they were you know, fit enough or whatever it might've been. They might have also felt that and looked at it as like this survival of the fittest type mentality that I, I do think permeates a lot of sports, but also like isn't inherently a part of the sport itself because, you know, you can be specialized and not necessarily be the best, right? Like you can be very good at a particular thing, but not like all around a good, you know, basketball player. You could just be a big guy that's rough in, in the paint and can get the ball and rebounds. Like, you know, you don't have to be the best shooter. Yeah, totally. And if like you're um, like I played rugby, that was a huge sport for me for 15 years. And, you know, the cool thing about rugby is, first of all, everyone on the field has to run for about 90 minutes. But yeah, at the same time, you still have like really heavy guys called props. And then you have like really tiny guys called wings, you know, and we're all expected to do roughly the same stuff. Just we all have our own capacities. Rugby taught me like a little bit of like 
hey, everyone has something to offer. Like I already knew that, but it just was like another way of hammering home that everyone has something to offer. So this idea, I always thought that, you know, people who had these like negative formative experiences toward especially field sports, I think a lot of people have much less negative experiences towards like individual sports at those times because you are competing against other people but in those individual sports, but it's much more like you versus you at the end of the day, like my outcomes versus my outcomes. Whereas like the team sport, it's like there's all this politicking a little bit, like who's starting, who's getting play time. And then there's like, there's much more shame too. Like you can feel guilt over like maybe bad performance in an individual sport, but in a collective sport, you can feel shame, you know, because, oh, I dropped a ball. Oh, I missed a shot, you know? So hmm, maybe that reinforces why people have these negative experiences. Yeah. I'm not really sure, but um, like yeah. I think at the end of the day, like we're, the reality is that the left isn't engaged with sports in terms of like proportion of population it should be, which is really counterintuitive because of the reasons we're bringing up about like the the benefits of like teamwork and things like that. Not to get like too like cheesy, but like there it, it is a really interesting uh, dynamic that has played out. Yeah, and I don't think it's cheesy. I'm all in for teamwork. <laughs> you know, I think yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a huge thing nowadays is we all want community. We like there's so much lip service paid to the fact that we want to build community. I mean, especially on the left, right? I mean, but everyone's saying it right now. I think I think we have a genuine yearning, an upswell of yearning for community, and to feel. I think underneath that is like a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. Like I, my life is not just an interchangeable unit traded by nation states on the world stage, but it actually is a meaningful and valued entity to the people around me, you know, and, and by me. Yeah. And I think like there, there's a piece of it that I think, or the piece that I think is holding us back in a lot of ways is a lot of vulnerability and humility. Like, you know, as a 30 plus almost 40 year old man, and I'm going to go play some pickup basketball, like, I'm 5'7", and I'm getting over COVID. Like, I haven't touched a basketball in a decade. Like, I'm not going to be good. There's some humility that comes with that, right? Totally. I think Gen Z has us on that. I I hope so. <laughs> yeah, they're so welcoming, like, in their own, like, kind of weird and cheesy way, which I find incredibly endearing. And, like, I'm honestly, like, a little bit envious of that, like, I wish we had almost had, like... For better or for worse, I almost wish we had this like flattening experience that the internet has done to people nowadays because it also does spread. It can spread bad, but it can spread good too. And I think it's given people unprecedented insight into how other people are living. And so Gen Z is making the most of that. And they're forming their psyches based upon like they see people's mistakes all the time. They see people bouncing back from failure all the time. Whereas we might have thought it was the end of the world because we're only around and influenced the most by the people we're around who would have maybe been the ones to shame us. But like Gen Z's resilient as hell, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. And they're, they're, they love each other. Like in the gym, you know, their culture is like, hey, you're here. That's great. You know, like wherever you, whatever you're doing, that's great. I remember being in college and going to the gym for the first time as a freshman. All the kids on scholarship, that would, they just lived in the gym, right? Like, again, I'd go and I'm like five, seven, like tiny little white dude. And my roommate was actually the center for the basketball team, you know, six, ten black dude. So it's like we were like the odd couple, like when we would stand next to each other. Right. <laughs> I would go in the gym and like I like, like totally out of place. And like he came over and he's like, all right, like, let's go you know, do some stuff. And 
But like uh, he it was happy to work with me because I knew him really well. But like a lot of the other people, like there's definitely like a clear like, what are you doing here kind of thing. And if if Gen Z is not doing that, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, totally. I actually went to like a gym that was definitely like I don't I didn't know this, by the way, but there's like at least in this area there i went to this suburban gym that seemed to be like a gen z gym there was a smattering i want to say there's a smattering of people you know over 30 but it was almost all just like straight gen z high school recently out of high school and i have never experienced such a welcoming like the vibes were immaculate <laughs> i mean like everyone was so happy to be there everyone was talking freely too yeah the gym's not usually yeah. the talking place no, it's not, right? And everyone's yeah. kind of like, well, you do every once in a while have the guy in the hoodie that's just bent over and you're like, oh, he's <laughs> going through it. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, this was like, everyone was so happy. I think there's like a real change going on. And I think we can't travel back to the past. That's very frustrating. So we have to like make a change now. But I think if someone did have terrible experiences or just like, you know, less than good experiences with fitness in the past, I always say it's it's time to try again. And, and, you know, you think about it, like, and this is kind of maybe even be a little besides the point, but I do think it plays into why maybe the gym that you went to is having this uh, experience is that like, as a kid today, not to date myself too much, but there's not a lot of options for things you can do that are cheap or free, right? And a gym membership is like, depending where you're going, it could be 10, 15 bucks a month. If you're going there a couple, you know, four or five days a week, like you really can't beat it in terms of like, I want to go out with my friends and go be someplace. And like, we don't have to do like anything. It's not like you go to a movie, you have to be quiet or you go to, you know, wherever you're kind of limited by the scope of what you're there for. You can go to the gym and, you know, between sets, you're just like shooting the shit for five minutes. And I think that's something that the gym offers like this very communal space while also having these like really obvious benefits of health. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I guess I've never thought about it before, but this is one of the most, one of the cheapest, like, entertainment forms. I mean, second only to probably just going outside. And uh, yeah, I mean, here, we can only do that for, like, probably six months, so half of the year. Yeah, and, like, loitering is a thing if you live in the suburbs. Like, where are you going to go? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, hang out in the Walmart parking lot, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think mall rats exist anymore. But, yeah, there's not many know, malls anyway. malls don't exist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That gives me a lot of hope. Like, I don't go to a gym very often, so I'm really happy to hear that's something that maybe is becoming more uh, valued and more important to uh, a new generation. Now, I think, well, a lot of our my listeners, our listeners, are probably a little bit older than Gen Z. I'm sure there's a decent amount of Gen Zers. I've been thinking about this idea of how do I get myself to do more fitness-type stuff? You know, like, like, I like kayaking. I like rock climbing. They're really fun and great. And obviously, for folks that have done them, they're not very cheap things to do. You know, you get a rock climbing gym membership, it's usually like 100 bucks a month. Kayaking, you need to have a kayak and like a, a vehicle to move said kayak uh, and access to places to go kayaking. You know, how do, how do we get people to, to, especially older people, to start thinking about actually making sports? And I, I don't mean like going necessarily and pumping iron, but like just being interested in getting physically fit and looking at it as something that's exciting and enjoyable as opposed to like, well, yeah, I got to go to the gym because I need to get healthier, but more of I want to go to XYZ. You know what I'm, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I also have like, I feel like maybe my internal biases are uh, standing in the way because I, I love physical activity, you know, like I, I'm excited about it 
normally. That's definitely just because of my habituation as a child and good experiences being a general positive reinforcement throughout my life. But I would say, you know, you want to think about what is your actual goal? Enjoyment, if that's something that you want to do, you know, be more healthy. I think that's, you know, maybe a secondary goal for a lot of people because it's so ambiguous. Like, what does that mean? What metric, you know, et cetera. I would just suggest, especially people, you know, I'm 34, so I'm not much behind you. (laughs) I would just suggest people, you know, our age and older, just get out and walk if that's, if that's where you need to start. Also, if someone is maybe a wheelchair user, maybe that looks like getting in your standing machine. That's a machine that helps people replicate all the benefits of standing. You know, that's going to open up your hips and stuff. Um, But, you know, anybody who's sitting at their office chair or driving a ton, maybe you're an Uber Uber driver or a truck driver, like you need to stand, you know, you need to simulate that movement. So, you know, if you can walk, go outside, walk for 30 minutes. And if it is winter outside, be careful, it's icy, but just walk for 30 minutes. Maybe that looks like around your block. Maybe you go to the YMCA or something like that and you walk around the track. Yeah. And you need to allow yourself the grace to figure this out. So you're not going to, you don't want to start with the carrot so far out in front of you that you get sad that you're not there already. So a lot of people are like, okay, I'm going to change my life. You know, it's the new year or it's going to become once it's spring and it starts getting nice out. They're like, I want to totally change my life. That works for less than 10% of people. I want to say it's probably 1% of people, right? (laughs) So you want to put the carrot close enough that you think you're going to get it, but far enough that you get better and more towards your goal with it. So walk outside. And then if you um, maybe want to add some stuff to that, like, hey, foraging. If you want to engage the intellect a little bit instead of the physicality, walk and maybe notice the plants around you. How about that? That'll keep you going. Maybe every time you walk, you get to teach yourself one plant. (laughs) Like just put little carrots all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Just go look for all the black cherry trees. Identify them all. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, if you want to um, get like iNaturalist on your phone or something or uh, map out your route on um, fallingfruit.org or whatever that shows you all the edible trees in your area. Yeah, just like be like, okay, I'm getting to the, what is that, black walnut tree? You know, like just engage yourself. And it doesn't have to look any certain way. Anybody who's telling you it has to be a certain way they likely don't even know what your goals are. So they're wrong right off the bat, you know? And like, they don't know your your idiosyncratic like physiology too. So like, there is no one size fits all. We're not even at individualized medicine yet technologically. So like, just send it. They ultimately just send it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I love that. Tim, for folks that want to follow you, what are your handles on TikTok and Instagram? I know we've done a couple collabs in the past. I'm sure we'll do some more by the time this comes out. Yeah, you guys can find me at, at MN Forager like the abbreviation for Minnesota, MN Forager. Then you can find me at ironwoodforaging.com. Awesome. Tim, thanks so much. This has been really fun. Thanks for having me, Andy.